You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you for joining our conversation today with myself and Alana. We're happy to have you. So it's been a while since we've talked about boundaries and you just, Alana and I were just saying how we could have, we could probably have the next eight episodes in a row about boundaries. And we're going to have a couple episodes. You've heard last week's training that Alana gave on boundaries. And hopefully that gave you a little bit of an outline. And we're going to dive deep into this today, a little bit more on the common mistakes that we make around boundaries. And again, I know we've validated this so many times, but boundaries can be very difficult because I think we believe that we're going to get it right the first time. I believe that when things don't go right, we make that mean something about our ability to set boundaries. And it truly has nothing to do with your ability. It only has something to do with our lack of understanding and lack of practice. So boundaries take practice, give yourself grace and space to to do this. And uh, hopefully between last week and this week, you're going to have a little bit more knowledge to step into that practice. Totally. And this is not, if you're listening to this and you're going, I make that mistake. I make that mistake. I make that mistake. This episode is not to have a shame fest, but for you to be empowered to go, oh, that's why this isn't working. Okay. Here's the area I want to work on. Okay. This is what I want to work on. So self-compassion is going to be really essential as you're listening today and just in moving forward with boundary work. Like Amy said, practice, 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 and then practice some more. Absolutely. Okay. So we're just going to dive into a couple of things that, that I've seen problematic and keeping us from following through with boundaries or even knowing where to start. And I think a beautiful place to start, a healthy place to start is knowing what you value. What is your value system? What do you believe? What do you want for your life? Now, your life, not what do you want for someone else's life okay, or your spouse's life, but what do you want for your life? What, is, what do you value? And I was reading, I think it's, wow, what book was it? I can't remember. Anyways, I was reading the study that they had done on long lasting marriages and they took people who were married for 30 years and up and they asked what common things do they have that allowed them to last this long? Like what was the common denominator? And the two things that they found was number one, they had the same value system and kept it. And number two, they had similar life experiences and expectations and whatnot, but that value really stood out to me, that value system. And, and so that's a great place to start. I had a client who was in an abusive relationship. He was an alcoholic and long story short, I had asked her what her value system was and, and her beliefs around drinking. And she herself doesn't drink, but she felt, well, it's fine if other people do once in a while, and maybe if they don't let it get a hold of them. And as she, as I allowed her to just talk through and asked her a couple follow-up questions, but as she talked through what she thought she valued, she actually started to see that she didn't have one. 
<laughs> and the reason why she didn't, and because she didn't have one, she allowed this abuser to continue to drink when she knows every time he did, he abused her in multiple ways rather than it's not okay with me to be in a relationship with someone who drinks irresponsibly or who has a problem with alcohol. She had never articulated that for herself as being a value. She didn't realize that's what that meant. So I don't know, just hopefully that helps maybe put that in maybe real time. That was an interesting conversation I had with her. And I love that. And we, when we live outside of our value system as an individual, it is very painful and uncomfortable for us. We are wired as humans to want to stay within our value system. And so just take people who look at pornography. If that's within your value system to look at pornography, looking at it is not going to be all that big of a deal for you as far as that emotional toll. But if that's something that's outside of your value system and you continue to look at it, that is going to have a great impact on you. Other way, if your partner looks at pornography and that's within your value system of that doesn't bother me, you're not going to be here with betrayal trauma because that's within your value system. But if that's outside of your value system and they continue to do it, that is going to take a great toll on you. So really understanding your value system really helps you understand the impact as well of what's happening in your life and why you're responding the way you're responding. Yeah. So then that next piece would be, if you know your value, what you want, then that next part that I find is where maybe people don't want to, it's standing up, speaking up to that value system. And that's where that can be more vulnerable. It's one thing to get a piece of paper out and write your values down and decide what you want, but to stand up and speak up, puts you out there more, which can halt you, which can lead to broken boundaries. Absolutely. And the more steadfast that we feel in that value, the more that we really understand it and believe it and feel it, that does help us be able to stand up for it more to be, not be okay with it. And it doesn't mean that we have to go fight everybody who believes differently, but it comes back to the whole idea of boundaries is what is okay with me for me and what is not. And so what am I willing to accept into my life, into my relationships? And standing up for that and speaking up is how you get the life you want. It's how you invite the people in your life that you want in your life. If you stay silent about it, you end up like this client who's now in an abusive relationship with an alcoholic. I almost like wish we could leave like some dead air right there and just <laughs> let you think on this concept that Amy's talking about. The way you get the life that you want is by speaking up and having a voice and not just speaking it, but behaving and following through with what's important to you and your value system. Because those who don't have the same values do not want to be around somebody who holds true to their boundaries if that's not something that they actually want to do. So you will invite those who want to live in that way closer to you, and it will repel those who do not want to live with that type of value system. Which plays beautifully into this next piece. So what I think is important is staying in reality. So if you don't know what you want out of your life, what you value, and you don't speak up and stand up, then you're not going to see what is happening 
around you and you're going to lose that sense of reality. Yes. And that the staying in reality, I think leads into the next common mistake with boundaries is not paying attention to the early warning signs. So I hear a lot of individuals, whether they're new in relationships or they've been in it for 40 years, discounting or minimizing the impact or the behaviors or the choices of another, even though you're in my office for a reason, you're having all sorts of physical, mental, psychological issues as a result of your life, but then not paying attention or maybe being ready to see what's actually happening because that reality is pain. And I'll even take it of wanting to see the good in others, wanting to live a life of seeing the good and having that positive outlook and the hope. But I think that sometimes can go too far. Gosh, please speak more to this. This is huge. This is huge. Just the going too far and then discounting things that you would never accept for your teenage daughter, that you would be like, whoa, hold on. That's not okay. But somehow for us, for the fear of losing the relationship or the fear of hurting someone's feelings or the fear of what does this really mean if I see this and realize and fully own that this is happening. The fear of speaking up about it, calling it out because it's the, we don't do that because the fear of being unchristlike, the fear of being, of asking for too much. Anyways, I could go on and on. That's a, that's a big one. When it comes to boundaries, I think that is a big mistake we make is we let fear drive the car. We let it run the show. Mm-hmm. And that fear can keep you forever stuck. There is rarely a time where somebody gets to a place where they have a boundary that there isn't some level of fear attached to it. So don't let fear determine what your value system is. Say that again. I like that. Don't let fear determine your value system. I'm impressed you remembered. (laughs) When you asked me to do that, my brain goes, what did I just say? (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. That's really powerful. I like that. Yeah, when fear's driving, I think that leads to a lot of these common mistakes that we're talking about that happen with boundary setting. And the big question then becomes, how do I not let the fear take over? Which you're right. What would you say to somebody quickly just on if the fear feels like too much. I would say make space for it rather than fight it and start practicing what we're saying, start identifying your values and identifying your voice in it and practice that. Cause that's going to feel more uncomfortable than the fear. Fear is going to feel way more comfortable right now and make space for both. Yeah. I, I was in a training recently and they said that Partners are always trying to talk each other out of their protections. And I think we try to talk ourselves out of our protections, but those protector parts of us show up for a reason. So if that's showing up, instead of fighting it, go away, that's not happening, make space for it while still continuing to do this other work and use that as an opportunity to get curious. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful work to do with you're one of, it sounds weird to say, I love playing out fears, but I do because it's really cool to see how the brain can process that. And, and I love watching women's 
relief when they give themselves permission to feel that negative emotion when they've been fighting it for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you make space to invite the healthy. That's going to really help you move forward. Quick side note. I was running a group last week and we were talking about emotions and feeling emotions. And one of the men said that he was afraid to feel emotions. He didn't use the word afraid, but as we dug into it, it was a fear. And he said, it literally feels like life and death. And I said, okay, let's slow that down. Let's go through step-by-step. And the way his brain went, it went, this will happen. Well, this will happen. Well, this will happen. And then I will be dead. And that's literally to the level his brain went of how much fear there was around feeling and making space for emotion. But what that did is it opened up this super cool discussion on the fears around emotion, why it's so scary. And I realized their definition of feeling emotion was not making space to understand the emotion. It was letting the emotion run the show. It was, so if I feel anger and the anger is so intense, well, I might kill somebody and I might end up in jail. And so we really use exploring that fear as an opportunity to understand at a whole deeper level, what it actually means to make space for your feelings and to feel awesome conversation. We didn't even get into the lesson because this all came out of our check-ins, but (laughs) it just goes into this idea that the fear is not something to be run from or to close our eyes towards, or to just put our head down and plow ahead let's use this opportunity to understand ourselves and why they're showing up because they're showing up for a reason. I know you see this too, but that's really what keeps a lot of us from setting the boundary in the first place is fear. Yeah. So this is a big aspect of that. That's awesome that the the lesson went that direction. A, A common mistake that we make with setting boundaries is not understanding power. And Vicki Tillwell Palmer actually talks about this, how not understanding power by either we underestimate or overestimate how much power you actually do have. So we either don't take action around things that we do have power to create, or we take action on things that we don't have power to create. So for example, your partner right now, for those of you who are experiencing betrayal trauma and you're using boundaries to create safety in that a lot of times the boundaries will be focused on the partner trying to get the partner to stop doing something or do something. And that's where we don't have power. And so that's that misunderstanding that we're talking about rather than focusing on what is in your control bubble and focusing on that. An example I think about with that is take two partners, household responsibilities. One partner does everything. The other one does nothing. The partner that does everything, I often hear phrases like, if I don't do it, nobody will. I have to do this because he could go for months and the bathroom would never get cleaned. And this is a way of underestimating their power because they constantly feel like there's nothing I can do. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it always will be. This is how that they're going to show up no matter what. And so this constantly undermining their own power and what they actually have control of and their ability to step out of that cycle because they don't believe it and they underestimate it. They stay perpetually stuck in the cycle Mm -hmm. that they loathe so much. hundred percent. I think that's really important to note. And anytime you notice, I'm going to give you an awareness tip here. Notice when your brain says, I don't have an option Mm -hmm. or there's no other way. 
or I can't because I have to just notice those statements your brain offers you and challenge it. Please challenge it. Because if you are in that place, I find we're either in that blame victim mentality thinking, or we are in that self-judgment shame. And that's where we get stuck. So coming back to this place of acceptance, aware of what you're thinking and feeling and owning that you're stepping into your power. And I promise that's where you will see options. You will see another way, but if you're stuck in blame, I have to clean this because he won't. That's a blaming thought. we got to drop that thought. Now, if you feel fear <laughs> to drop that thought, then call me, <laughs> but we've got to get to that place of, of awareness with acceptance. But anyways, that's just a little awareness tip. If you notice your brain going there, please challenge it because your brain loves to say, I don't know. And paying attention to these thoughts that are coming up. One thing I'll hear women say is I can't do boundaries. You realize yeah. that statement. I can't do boundaries, period. What does that set you up for with future actions? It sets oh, you yeah. up. You're not going to be able to do boundaries. That right there closes you off to any type of growth or improvement. And so even that little verbiage change of, I am learning how to do boundaries. I am growing in my boundaries. That all of a sudden opens up this entire world of you being able to grow and learn and explore and not stay stuck. But when mm -hmm. you have those type of statements, I can't do boundaries, you have just condemned yourself to stay in this place of, I can't do boundaries. Right. Hence, you've limited your power. You have literally stepped out of your, I call agent power mode. You've stepped out of your ability to act as an agent. And that is where your power is. Okay. The next one is confusing boundaries with demands. How does this look? Well, demands are saying to somebody or something that you have to do. This is the way it will be. But again, that goes back to your power and control. Do you have the power to tell other people what they can and can't do with their lives? Here's something that I didn't learn until later in life. It is not okay for you to tell another adult how to live their life, even your spouse. That's not okay. They no. have every right to live the life they want just as you do. Now you get to say for yourself, this is the type of relationship I want to be in. This is Hence the, the values, right? Exactly. Hence going back to your values. You got to know this isn't the relationship that I want. But I did not like that thought when I first learned it because I felt very powerless yeah. because I had this false sense of control. If I tell my husband to show up this way, well, he needs to show up this way. And then I feel safer in my relationship, but I wasn't any safer. My husband for a lot of years played the part of what I told him he had to be, but he was living this other life. You can't tell people how to live their lives. You can only choose for yourself. Yeah. The other thing that when I was thinking about demands and how that does not work, it just isn't sustainable. You're not going to be able to, because again, to your point, you can't control someone for a long period of time because sometimes it might work. You can make a demand and someone might comply, but it's not sustainable. And it's not really creating the connection that I know a lot of you are really wanting. Yes. Yes. You can't have a deep level of connection with the person you're trying to make someone else to be. The deep level connection comes with authenticity, matching authenticity. 
I like that. I like that. And interestingly enough, demands, when we're in that place where we want to make a demand, it's because we are in fear mode. It's fear-based. Totally. So interesting. Can we give some examples of what a demand sounds like and the difference with a boundary? So like a demand is you will go to therapy and work on your addiction. That's a demand. And I I know some of you are hearing this and going, okay, but he has to go to therapy. (laughs) But what you can say for you, right? Because boundaries are about you. It's, I can't stay in a relationship where sexual addiction or infidelity has been present unless I see you going to therapy and working through that stuff. I can't stay in that kind of relationship. And so now this is about you and what you can do or can't do. So they have every right to say, this is something I want to do therapy because I want it for myself or because I want to save the relationship. Mm -hmm. They have that choice, but you can't demand, you can demand, but to have that healthy relationship requires allowing other people that right and agency to make choices for themselves. Absolutely. And it can even look as something as simple as you can't talk to me that way. Again, that's actually a demand. So another way to reframe that is if you continue to talk to me that way, I will leave the room. So it's just reframing. You're still to the point, like you're still advocating for what I think deep down, you want them to go to therapy. You want them to go get help. You want them to stop talking, but we've just got to frame it in a way where, like you said, a boundary is for you. It is not for the other person and just reframing that a little bit. That reframing, I had a guy in group ask me one time and he's like, why do you get so caught up on the little words? He's like, you're just like, we, we said the same thing just in different ways, but our brain really takes those words and makes them into meaning. So the words do matter. And so really slowing down and paying attention to the words, because that message of this is what I will do if this behavior continues sends a message to yourself and to the other person that you can make choices for yourself and you will act in that power for yourself, not waiting for someone else to have to be a certain way for you to be able to move your feet. So yes. And here's what I love why you just said that because, and why framing boundaries in this healthy way absolutely adds to your own self-trust. One of the things that is lost in betrayal trauma is trust, trust in your partner, but trust in yourself. And boundaries is an element of trust. So when you can not only speak your boundary and express what you want, what you have a right to and hold it and own it in that healthy framing, you've just stepped into your power, which means you are trusting yourself a little bit more. And that is huge. That's a huge, beautiful healing element of all of us. And self-trust is one of those things that you carry with you through your whole life, through all of your circumstances. And that can carry you through and build such resiliency that I can't emphasize enough the importance of doing your work to really trust yourself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then the other common mistakes that we make with boundary setting is making unclear agreements. So Vicki Tidwell Palmer talks about this and how we often, when we set an unclear agreement, we are often setting ourselves up for disappointment and setting ourselves up for a broken agreement. 
So I like agreements to be made or requests to be made that are measurable, meaning we've got to be very detailed. So rather than saying, if you're, when you're out of town, I need you to call me every night. And if that's just very open-ended, it's not very measurable. That leaves a lot of room, believe it or not, <laughs> women's brains are probably like, what's hard about that? It actually does leave it open to a lot of <laughs> interpretation, unfortunately. But if we can reframe that and be more clear, would you be willing to call me before 10 o'clock every night when you're out of town? That's way more clear, a lot more measurable to see if they're willing to do that. Boundaries are kind when they are clear. And what I hear a lot is when women try to make their boundaries, they will slip it in the middle of a conversation. They will talk a ton before it. They'll talk a ton after it. They'll try to explain it for a good 30 minutes to two hours and even minimize it after they give it. But all of this, it just gets murkier and murkier the more they talk. So to be very clear of this is my boundary for myself. This is what I am needing. This is what I'm going to do and having it clear and concise within a sentence or two, and then don't apologize for it. Let it just be what it is in that moment is such a gift that you can give to other people. Absolutely. Okay. We, we don't need to put this in the podcast, but one of the things I tell my clients is just kiss a boundary. Keep it simple. It's stupid. Yes. <laughs> it's like, just kiss the boundary. Keep it simple because they are stupid right now. <laughs> That's funny. I thought you were saying like the person giving the boundary, keep it simple, stupid. Not because you're giving it to the stupid person. But the other one was stupid right now. So just kiss them the boundary. You got to keep it very simple. <laughs> I love it and leave it in there. <laughs> the idea of kiss the boundary. I may keep using that. I like that. <laughs> Another common mistake we make with boundary setting is not being committed to the boundary. Whoo, this is the breakdown right here. Just not being fully committed. And that's really that then I will part aspect. So those of you who have some element of understanding around boundaries, this is what we mean by the, okay, here's what's not okay. And if you do, then I will. And are you committed to the, then I will. And here's the problem is if you're not, And you say, this is my boundary and this is what I'm going to do. And then you don't follow through and you don't follow through and you don't follow through. You're sending a message that either this isn't important to me or my words don't match up my behavior, which that's something you often deal with, but it sends a message that your words don't actually carry any weight. Do all of the work ahead of time to get you to the place that if you are going to give a boundary and share that with somebody, that you are ready to be committed to it, even if they don't love the boundary. And um, surprise, most people don't love the boundary, period. So yes, please. In fact, if they don't, that means you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. Because they're used to you behaving a certain way and that behavior has inadvertently allowed unhealthy behavior. So changing it means you're doing it right. So then are you saying, Alana, if you do not have that solid commitment to the, then I will, would you rather them not set the boundary at all and work with someone until they can get committed? Don't even bother setting a boundary if you're not going to follow. I will say it depends. And what I want to say is yes, but it depends because if we're talking about safety and you have to 
protect yourself or your kids, and we're talking about safety is at risk, then do whatever you need to do to get safe. But ultimately, when we're talking about boundaries in general, if you're not going to follow through with them, what's the point on sharing them? So if you can't follow through, don't give up. That's not, oh good, (laughs) now I don't have to do this work. It means, okay, then where's our breakdown? So in the podcast last week with the seven steps to making boundaries, remember one through five isn't even making a boundary and telling people about it yet. It's all of those pieces that come in first. And we've talked about a lot of them today. And so figure out, okay, where is my breakdown? And that's where we're going to focus our work on. Okay. Another common mistake we make with setting boundaries is not knowing what to do when a boundary doesn't work. Say you do go through the effort of creating a healthy boundary and you're confident and you are committed to the, then I will you've done all the things and it doesn't work. What happens often is the brain will say, see, didn't work. So just give up. Or we make it mean something about us. Here's where my brain is going. What does it mean for your boundary to work? Because a lot of women tie my boundary works if he changes his behavior. But guess what? If that's your goal, then we're in the business of manipulation and not in the business of creating safety for ourselves. I really love that. Because if the, here's what's not okay, is repeated, then what if the boundary worked? Because that boundary just gave you information. So maybe it did work. And maybe it's information you don't like or you don't want. That's so painful. Yeah. But to your point, it doesn't mean it didn't work. By all means though, I think part of boundary making is going in and reevaluating. Mm-hmm. Was I clear with my boundary? Did I do it in a way that I have action for me and not for somebody else? Do I need to increase my level of self-care when they don't follow through? Because that's going to be painful for me. Analyzing and evaluating, again, not to control somebody else, but to help you handle whatever their take is, good, bad, or ugly. And here's another piece. It's okay that you have to reevaluate your boundary and readjust it. One of the big hangups for, I think a lot of us women is the fear of getting it wrong. And so when you go through so much work to set this boundary and you just were like, okay, I got it. I got this boundary. And then it doesn't work out. And then it's crap. I got it wrong. Again, releasing that, that language. Okay. You didn't get it wrong. What if I need to be more clear? What if I need to readjust? What if I need to take it up another notch? That is working your boundary. That is living your life. Working your boundary. I love that phrase because that phrase right there shows like, this is a process. It's evolving, it's changing, it's going to take effort. It's not one and done. And oh my gosh, do I wish it was one and done for your (laughs) sake, for my sake, but it's not, it's working your boundaries. Okay, and I think the last thing that we'll mention today, I'm sure there's a hundred more, but the last thing we'll mention today, using ultimatums instead of boundaries. So what would an ultimatum look like? Let me tell you what an ultimatum sounds like. If you don't do this, I will divorce you. 
if you don't do this, we can no longer be friends. If you don't do this, we're never having sex again. Those are ultimatums. Most of the time when ultimatums are put in place, when we dig further, women don't actually feel that way. When they're in an emotional reactive place, it may be true. But when we're in that, we're calmer, we're in our full wise mind that includes emotion and logic. If you're not ready to leave the relationship over this, then it really then becomes a threat and a tactic of manipulation. And a loss of credibility, because again, you're not most likely really wanting what you're throwing out there. And so you're not really going to follow through. And it goes back to that credibility factor. Totally. And if with the threat of divorce, if really what you want is not divorce, but for them to work recovery, but if you're using that ultimatum to get them to do what you want, then again, you've lost that credibility. And really there's a loss of trust for yourself because you're not actually showing up authentically or honestly. That might be painful to hear, but that's really the truth. Here, here's the thing. You can absolutely have ultimatums in your relationship or bottom lines. If this happens again, I can't continue. If you act out with another person, I just cannot stay in a relationship. And if that's where your boundary is, by all means, you get to have your non-negotiables, but non-negotiables, your bottom lines, again, are things that you are going to do for you, not as you are throwing it at other people to try to get them to change or act a different way. Yeah. An ultimatum isn't trying to have power over someone. That's not the strategy we're trying to use. I love the idea of having a non-negotiable, very clear for yourself. I had a client whose non-negotiable was if you act out again in the marriage, if you sleep with another woman, we're done. And she was very solid in that. And so you definitely want to be solid in your non-negotiable, but it's not to have power over that other person. It's actually to step back into your power. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing with non-negotiables is take some time to really sort through them, walk through what that would feel like, what that would look like. And by all means have whatever non-negotiables you need please do that, but do the work with it to really understand yourself and know what your true bottom lines and non-negotiables look like. Which full circle, I think really comes down to when you know your values and what you really want with your life, then you can better understand what your non-negotiables will be. I I love it. I love the full circle. (laughs) And if you take nothing else from this, doing that value work and really understanding yourself and really stepping into your values can bring such peace and such clarity to your life, even outside of boundary work. So as always, thank you for talking about boundaries with us. Thank you for being part of the conversation and we will see you all next week. Thanks everyone again for joining us today. We hope this episode was helpful for you as you navigate your boundaries. And if you would like to have more help with your boundaries, specifically with your situation, then go to chooserecovery.com and work with one of our coaches that will absolutely help you 
and help you to continue to choose healing, to choose recovery, and to choose you. Take care, everybody.